Welcome to the show, everybody. Quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, go to shanemoss.com, go to the contact page, join up for my email list. If you're on my email list, you already know I don't send out newsletters or anything like that. The only time you'll ever get an email from me uh, is uh, is when I'm in your city. So you're not gonna you're not gonna have your inbox filled up with a, a bunch of promotion for a bunch of shows that you can't go to. You'll only get one email when I'm in your city, and it's a good way to keep up with me because you're you're not gonna remember to check into my website and my dates fluctuate all the time and we're adding new stuff constantly so that is the best way to catch me live always a bummer when i just leave a city and it happens pretty much every show i just leave a city and then two days later a fan reaches out and they're like hey when are you coming to the city and i was just there two days ago so you can avoid that by joining my email list all right enjoy today's episode are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are hello everybody and welcome to the here we are podcast today i'm back at my home turf at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, talking with Assistant Professor of Marketing. Nesha Nazif is joining me today. Nesha, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Your name is not spelt phonetically. So I, I was, mean, not um, phonetically from, uh, from your point from of from view, but what an ethnocentric comment to make right it, off the it bat. Really, it, really, it really was. Thanks for calling no, me out yeah, on that. No worries. <laughs> is that a regular N-E-S-E? Is that, that's so a- the alphabet that it comes from has two S's. One is like you know, the S that we know. Uh-huh. And the other is an S with like a little squiggle under it, uh-huh. almost like a tail, and it makes the SH sound. So yeah, yeah. So that's how you get Nesha and I see. And not in US. I'm, I'm learning more. This is part of the journey of this podcast is each <laughs> week, uh, the listeners get to hear me uh, attempt and often butcher uh, a guest name, and uh, and I'll, one day I'm going to get there and I'm going to understand how names work, and I'm very excited for that day. But we're not there yet, so okay. <laughs> thanks for walking me through that. No um, so, so assistant professor of marketing, what kind of uh, marketing do you do here, uh, or do you study? Um, okay, so. The classes I teach, the main class that I teach is integrated marketing communications, which is a fancy phrase for um, basically advertising. Mm-hmm. So um, any sort of marketing communications. My research area um, tends to be a little bit more mixed, but it's all under the broad umbrella of uh, consumer behavior and uh, services marketing. Hmm. What services marketing? So we have different kinds of products that are sold on the market, right? There's these tangible goods like, um, I don't know, like a Diet Coke or an iPad or a car. And then there are products that we uh, can't actually um, touch or see. So things like haircuts, uh, postal services, uh, insurance, you know, so services that are provided and you don't actually get a physical good in exchange. And um, services tend to have some unique characteristics that tangible goods do not. Hmm. 
I like to say there's a podcast that delivers education and entertainment at the same time. These are <laughs> these are these intangible services. Yes, right? yes, exactly. You would be you would be a service. So, <laughs> so, so, what is what's the difference between these kind of intangible services? Well, there's just certain like unique features, uh-huh. um, and their characteristics have implications for marketing. Um, So one characteristic of uh, services products that's different from tangible goods is that um, you can't store up inventory. Um, Another characteristic is that it is very hard um, to have one service be just like the other. Like it's it's hard to make them uniform, right? Mm. So whereas with, um, I don't know, let's say like a bracelet, right? Um, You could churn out a hundred of them and they look exactly alike and they could be the same size. But if you're providing, um, let's say, uh, haircuts, right? Um, You might have a bad day one day or like a cold and you just might not be on your A game or like the next day. um, Are you saying this because, am I having a bad hair day No, you look just fine. You look look great. I actually probably need a haircut. It's been a while. So maybe that's why it's on my mind. But um, in other words, like with services, it's hard to provide uniform delivery as well. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, there's there's just characteristics like this about service goods that that affect its marketing. Another thing, another implication of the or one important implication of this is that it's hard to communicate the value of services to consumers because of their non tangible characteristic. So, you know, like, let's say uh, you get locked out of your car. And, um, you know, you call someone to uh, come open your car and you wait like an hour and they show up and they put that slidey thing through your window and they open it up and then... You go, that took 10 seconds. Yeah, it took like... How much? Exactly. It's like 10 seconds and then like you give them $150 or something, right? Or like you have a plumber come to like fix some leak under your sink and like really he's just there for like 10 minutes, but then you get a bill for like $200 or or something like that. So sometimes it's it's hard for consumers to see the value in services and and there tends to be more complaints about that than with tangible goods so can't can't plumbers just like make it look harder than it actually is yeah. <laughs> i guess they could i mean one one thing that we do or one thing that a lot of um service businesses do sometimes to overcome this is they add a tangible element to their service delivery huh. um so maybe they'll like give you something to take home, like a coffee mug or, you know, like dentists give you that bag of goodies, like the toothbrush and the toothpaste. And like, I don't know, it, just just to kind of add that tangible element seems to really make people happy, even though that's not what you came there for. Is that why dentists are doing that? I thought they were, I thought they were in with big toothpaste. I think they're also in with big toothpaste. (laughs) You know, I think it's also, I think it's kind of a double. It's also um, a a really uh, appropriate medium for Hmm. big toothpaste and big toothbrush and big floss to promote themselves. Yeah. So, So I, I mean, that that's, when you're locked out of your car, someone comes by with a Slim Jim, it takes them 10 seconds. You're like, why am I paying $150? Mm-hmm. But you're you're paying for the expertise that took that yep. 10 years of when that person first tried to pop open a car door, it might have taken them 
yeah an hour to figure out how to pop the mechanism in in this particular model model vehicle but now they they have a hundred of these cars under their belt and yeah Totally. There, there, there's a number of factors that go into this. So one thing would be all of that training that you don't see in the background, right? All, all of the schooling, like if we go back to the dentist, right? Um, she's gone through um, tons of schooling. And, you know, if she opened her practice, that that was an investment also in licensing and whatnot. Um, with the person popping open your car, certainly that that took a lot of practice and stuff. But the pricing probably also has a little bit to do with the urgency as well. I mean, you kind of have no choice. Um, you know, probably the same with uh, things like plumbing. But, but again, there's just those the licensing, the certification, um, the tool, just just all of this stuff that consumers don't really see or consider. They just see the value of it at the moment. Hmm. What about uh, where does something like a mechanic fall into this? Because you're going and getting a radiator. That's yep. a thing. And yep. you can be like, a radiator costs yep. $350 or whatever. But then there's this service fee tacked onto that. Do do people have like an easier time um, understanding the, the costs of, of that because there is that, like, yeah. it's like a 50-50 kind of component? Kind of. People definitely put more emphasis on the actual material part of that. Um, in marketing, though, one thing that we sometimes argue, um, that we often argue, actually, is that there is no sort of product that doesn't come with a service anymore. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, maybe we can name some, but um, for the most part, any product that you think of actually does have some service attached to it. So, for example, like your cell phone. Um, it, it's a product, right? But there's also like a warranty attached to it. There's um, the store that sold it to you that probably had some sort of personal salesperson because you generally talk to someone when you're picking out a new cell phone. Um, you know, there's the cellular service plan that came with it. And then same with the mechanic, like the radiator. Mm -hmm. Most people don't buy a radiator and take it home and then go and put it in their car, right? Most people they don't really know what the brand of a radiator is or anything, or if there even is a variety of it, they will purchase a radiator. But what they're really purchasing is the expert to also install that in their car. Mm -hmm. So um, so any sort of tangible good you can think of, generally we can also think of some associated services with it that made you pick that tangible good over another. Hmm. So how do these companies with this intangible service um, reveal to customers some of these kind of background. So so with this podcast, mm -hmm. um, we could have Skyped this. We could both be sitting at home <laughs> right now. The audience might not be even even the wiser. I, I came here. I drove here. I, you know, I mm -hmm. spent a, we emailed back and forth. We figured out a time. Yep. Um, I uh, I brought in these. Uh, I mean, look how impressive these microphones are. I mean, this this really <laughs> this feels is some like a technology. thing. Technology. Huh? I mean, yeah, yeah, much more. <laughs> I, I I get set up. I tell you about how the audio works and how to yep. where to put your mouth and all that. And that's all. All this time, uh, all these things that I've also me instructing you on how to use this microphone and doing that in a certain way is something that I've Absolutely. developed over time through now doing like 250 mm -hmm. of these or or whatever. And and these 
these listeners are so unappreciative <laughs> of, of what, I, what I'm doing. How do I let them know what a great service yeah. I'm, I'm providing? Oh, for I them? imagine your listeners are actually probably pretty cool no. people. Um, oh, and of course, you know, like <laughs> my students are also just the coolest too. But every <laughs> once in a while, I get questions, you know, like you, you get some. S- you get some cynicism, like, why do I need to come to class? Right. Right? Like, I have the textbook. I have your syllabus, which tells me what we're reading every week, what assignments are due. We also have a course website that, you know, has a way to submit the assignments. Why do you still want me to come you to class? You don't even have bongs in the classroom. I know. I, mean, I don't even, like, give cookies or anything. <laughs> like, honestly, I am just the meanest professor. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe kind of. Um, anyways, um, yeah. So I have students asking me, like, not asking me directly, but uh, maybe kind of passive aggressively in the course evaluations at the end, like, you know, um, why was attendance mandatory or or something like that? And and it's because there is this. Okay, let me back up. There's also this concept in marketing called co-creation that applies very heavily to services, and it's that the consumer is co-creating the end product with the producer. And this doesn't happen with goods, right? Mm. When you purchase, let's say, a coffee mug, someone has created that for you and uh, made it perfect and put it on the market, and then you get to go and buy it. And it and it doesn't matter what consumer is buying it. Like, that's not going to affect what they did ahead of time with creating this coffee mug. But then let's go back to the haircut. When you sit in that chair to get a haircut, you're telling the stylist what you want done with the hair, um, you know, whether you're maybe nice to her or rude to her might affect your haircut. Um, who knows, maybe even the time of day or whatever. But but you're going to do things that affect the end product of your haircut. So you're actually co-creating this thing that you're consuming. And so this is so going back to the classroom example, um, I try to communicate that a lot of the value of being in the classroom is because the students are also co-creating the educational setting where we learn from each other, mm. that their presence adds value to the end product of the knowledge that we're creating. Does that kind of make sense? Of course it or, does. Yeah. No, you're getting to No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. No, this makes plenty of sense. I'll I'll stop you if it sure. seems unclear. You're sitting there, you're you're delivering your uh your presentation to class mm-hmm. and you're you're getting uh, I you know, I stand up, I tell jokes in front of people and I get immediate feedback yep. from the audience. I'm uh, looking at who's rolling their eyes, who's yep. who's really engaged and I'm and I'm altering in in the moment how I'm delivering things, maybe the jokes that I'm that I'm picking and then and then part of that feedback um leads to me altering how my next shows are going to go, which totally. is, which is much more involved. If you're a professor who's spending an entire semester with it, you know I'm I'm having a one night stand with this audience, <laughs> so I can screw them over yeah. if I want to. But I, yeah. uh, it, you know, but it's a but it's a similar because there's this. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's all yeah. kind of the same thing in a way. But um, but like I but could yeah, have two think- sections of the same class back to back, right? And one can just go much better than the other because 
you know, you might just have that one student in the front row that is smiling and nodding, and that student will never know how much you appreciate and love that person for just pretending that you're extremely interesting. But like, it, it really motivates you. They and get you better just, grades? Be honest right <laughs> <no>. now. <laughs> um, they probably have certain intrinsic properties which lead to better grades anyways. But um, anyways, it's just like, it's motivating and it ends up leading to a better classroom experience for everyone, but nothing because of, you know, it, but it doesn't have anything to do with what the professor brought in because the professor is bringing in the same thing to both class sections. But the students who are there may be bringing something different that makes this, the professor's delivery of it better. Hmm. I guess if that makes sense. It does make sense. So how, how do, what is the balance of, how do I want to phrase this? Kind of the... Because there's, I'm just thinking how many personality differences there are in how involved a consumer wants to be in mm -hmm. this this process, and I, so so use the haircut example for instance. Um, in a way, this takes a little bit of the liability off of the barber because they can be mm -hmm. like, "You said racing stripes, yeah, <laughs> I've I shaved in racing stripes. Right. I mean, yeah. you took that chance. Yeah, I did what I was told, and then uh, but the consumer's like, "You call these racing stripes? Yeah. These are, uh, so so there's a little, but but then." Someone like myself, I, I go in to uh, get a haircut. I'm like, please, uh, I, I have no idea what I yep. want. I Just want it make to it be look shorter. Good, right? Please make it look good. Yeah. And, and that's all... I, you know, in that, in that moment when you're in, mm -hmm. in that classroom, when you're seeing who's happy, who's not, who's understanding, who's looking mm -hmm. confused, you're making those alterations yep. in the moment. That's one thing. But how do you, how do you know the middle ground of when you're advertising, when you're advertising yeah. the class, when you're advertising your hair care place, so mm. anything else, hair care? Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure. Hair why care. not? Uh, <laughs> Is the idea to kind of find that middle ground of like, here's what the average person, mm -hmm. here's the average involvement that that a person wants to have. Is that is that a factor that people? Yeah. So let's think of. Um, actually, you probably even know the answer to this because. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. No. Because because <laughs> certain um, products, even tangible and intangible products, kind of advertise along this angle. So think of insurance, for example. Okay. Insurance is totally a service industry, mm -hmm. right? Like you are paying for something that you hope you will never use um, because generally insurance is for a crisis. Um, but like you don't really ever get anything physical for it. I use oh. peace of mind every day. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like exactly. So, um, but yeah, it's something to soothe your anxieties, um, some sort of financial security. But if you think about insurance and how it's delivered, some insurance brands advertise that they have this agent that works with you, right? That that they have this agent that's going to show up in your darkest hours and uh -huh. be there for you and be the support service for you. Other insurance companies, sometimes you see them advertising how easy it is to go and get a policy online, 
right? You just go in and you sign up and I don't know, mm. certain number of minutes will save yeah. you a certain percentage. Um, so all that is kind of advertising that involvement too, right. like how involved you want to be in this service creation. Um, and, and that'll actually help also um, segment, which is another word we use in marketing also, segment um, the audiences that those brands are targeting. So for instance, the insurance company that has the agent um, will probably is probably actually targeting a different set of consumers than the insurance company that lets you go online and print out your own insurance card in just a few minutes after signing up. Mm -hmm. hmm. so. Well, it's interesting that that is, that personal connection is, also, often an incentive that is mm -hmm. offered in, um, say, uh, uh, yeah, I, I fly a lot, ho hopefully less, more mm -hmm. so, because I hate dealing with airlines and uh, yeah. all their poor service and everything. Yeah. But because um, I, I generally fly a lot, I have a yeah. little higher status than most people. And, uh, and as your status goes up these levels, you have uh, varying levels of ease in in communicating with yeah. uh with you get to board the plane on the special carpet before the rest of us you get that um, but, but please, also right? just in, in terms of in terms yeah. of you call so so most people have the regular you know american airlines number that they're calling mm. in i have a special number for being a platinum customer or whatever and then sure. and then people ahead of if you're in like some mm -hmm. million mile club or whatever you call two seconds later the person picks up and they know your yeah. name and your situation yeah. and everything and and so it's this it's this yep. incentive benefit that you earn that that then that then makes Absolutely. people have to and actually that that's a great observation you're making because if you think about so the the product we're talking about now is air travel right right so air travel why do we consume that we consume it to get from point a to point b right. there's really not a lot of different ways that like american airline can do that versus delta versus united i mean they don't fly a different route generally or they can't really do things in terms of the core service that differentiates it so i they, think delta could pick up their game a little bit no i know <laughs> but 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 where they need to pick up their game is in these right. like tangential areas right? right like i mean i don't know not not anyways the controversy they've been in i don't want to say anything that uh, that they've allegedly been in i don't um, even know what you're talking about okay. this is i'm i'm more than happy to name names <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just being silly but you anyways you the, like how can you differentiate yourself when your core product is just getting someone from point a to point b uh -huh. in a straight line right the only way you can differentiate that product is by basically these tangential services you provide, such as things like elite statuses for your best flyers, or um, Virgin Airlines tends to have a much nicer check-in area than the rest of them with like flowers, and they even have like this violet lighting some, in some airports. Um, yeah, hmm. so Southwest is known for being like goofy and kooky and friendly, right? But none of them with their core product really they're not going to get you from Chicago to New York any faster once they get in the air. They they fly just the same as each other. So the only way they can say they're different from each other is with these tangential services. Hmm. So, hmm. well, 
let's talk about my podcast because <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> okay. Let's use it as a case study. All right. I want. I want to. I want to use. Uh, I mean, most of this at the end of the day is is for my betterment more than <laughs> more than anyone else's. I, if I want to build, so what are ways in which I can? Um, uh, you know, I'm offering this service. How do I mean? One thing that just happens naturally over time is because I over disclose. Um, people, people really get to know me mm-hmm. uh, very well, and so they feel this this connection of of getting to know me. And the more like vulnerable I can become, the yeah. stronger connection they feel. And uh, in some regards, I'm sure it comes off as whining to others. Um, but finding that happy medium. So uh, when you're talking about co-creating, I was like, well, what if I had. Um, you know, a forum or something like that. People go on the here we are podcast.com website. They can mm-hmm. go on the forum and I'm listing who my upcoming guests are going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so people that are interested can look through, say your publications mm-hmm. or whatever and send questions of their own before the podcast or, or mm-hmm. after a podcast comes out, they can go on and, and once people hear it, they can, have comments on on the podcast yeah. that, that other uh, other customers can uh, or you know other listeners can then um, be you know it builds this community feel where other listeners can be involved in in commenting yeah. on an episode. I can respond once in a while. Um, so again, that's where you're talking about how do you differentiate your product? Mm-hmm. Because if you think about like what is the core of your product, well, you're giving information and you know possibly you're giving some humor too. Um, possibly, <laughs> possibly, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, but people could actually go get this elsewhere, right? Like somebody yeah. could go to the actual academic journal that my stuff is printed in, or you could take a class with me and you could get this information. So, mm. so why go to you for this, God, right? I've been asking myself the same <laughs> question over and over. Well, so that that is that is your competitive. So you have certain things you do that give you a competitive advantage over these other things like college courses and journal papers. Mm-hmm. So you are you are through your service provision making this information more attractive to a certain segment of consumers mm-hmm. that that would just rather receive this information in your podcast format, right? Right. So it's a, it's a more this is a lot more exciting accessible than than perhaps reading a academic journal sure, and, yeah yeah and uh, maybe uh, yeah just easier you can listen to on your drive and, instead of actually like reading it on paper it, and yeah and it probably is much more entertaining um yeah there's personal connections that sort of thing so, yeah. so when someone when a company is thinking about the is it how, how much energy do you invest? In, so is is the right course of action to then be like, here's what makes this product special. Here's what makes okay. this stand out over the other similar, because there's other science pro- podcasts, there's colleges, mm-hmm. there's online courses, there's other things people can do to get this information. So do you focus? I mean, I imagine you don't focus 100% on what on just what the differences are. Right, you still want to convey that you're 
providing, say, in this case, education? It depends. It totally depends. I mean, um, some people or some brands, their competitive advantage is being standardized and being uniform. So think of, for example, fast food franchises. Why do you go to a fast food franchise instead of a local joint? It's because you have these expectations that are probably going to be pretty closely met at a fast food joint. Yeah, a billion sold or whatever. And yeah, I mean, one cheeseburger is gonna be probably pretty close to the next. Mm -hmm. And you pretty much know the price or you exactly know the price, you know the process of getting this service, you know that there's probably a drive-through or a walk-in counter, you know that it's gonna come in all sorts of like paper bag and napkins and whatnot. So you, you have this expectation for that sort of thing. And they would probably advertise themselves in somewhat of a standardized fashion, like that standardization being a an advantage for consumers. Um, but then think about like local restaurants, they kind of go the different way. Like they, when they advertise, they talk about how they're part of the local community. They might um, sponsor baseball, little league teams. Um, they live in the community that their restaurant is in. They're part of like Small Business Saturday or something. So it could be both, right? Mm -hmm. Like Like being different could be your attractiveness to a certain consumer at a certain point in time, um, but also being the same and having these standardized um, expected things could also be attractive to certain consumers in a certain time. Um, consumers evaluate services on five dimensions. So uh, marketing academics that are much smarter than me several decades ago um, kind of uh, narrowed down these dimensions that consumers evaluate services. Uh, so one way that consumers evaluate services, we've already sort of talked about, and that's on the tangible elements. So even though it's a service, we still see certain things associated with it. So we might see the physical facilities. So again, the restaurant. It might we're talking then about like the food, the the server's uniform, how clean the tables are or the restrooms. We also would see things like equipment. Yeah, so any sort of tangible element that comes with it. Um, we also tend to evaluate services based on um, the reliability of the service. So um, are they able to perform as promised? They promised to fix your deck or redo your deck for a quote of $5,000 in two days? Do they actually get it done for that amount of time and material in the time that they said that they would, mm -hmm. right? So that's gonna affect if we view that this was a successful service delivery or not. Um, responsiveness is another um, element in which we evaluate services. So that is the willingness to actually help customers. Um, when you go to consume this service, do you feel as though the, the employees there um, had a willingness to help you? Um, they actually wanted your business. Another one is assurance. Did they make you feel like they were doing a good job? I mean, we've all probably left certain services wondering like, eh, like, is this gonna turn out okay? Um, and, and then the fifth dimension is empathy. So, um, you know, um, do you believe that they actually 
cared about you and, and cared to give you good business or cared to give, yeah, cared to give you a good um, service delivery at the end of it. Can you remind me of the first one again? Tangibles. So the tangible elements. So there's, oh, right, yeah, right, right. tangibles, reliability, yeah. responsiveness, assurance, and empathy. So those are the five dimensions that okay. we tend to evaluate um, service delivery. Hmm. So when you talk about empathy, is that, would a good example be like, uh, say, a doctor's bedside manner where, mm-hmm. where how, uh, uh, y- y- you know, uh, someone, there's some, you know, they operate on the wrong side or whatever there's some some <laughs> mistake made that might go more towards reliability if they operate on the wrong side right They're, right they, well but but, but the right. there's been studies of of mm-hmm. people's evaluation of what happened is is like well oh yeah, yeah. well the doctor uh, say say not operating on the wrong side that's going to upset that's kind just of about extreme, anybody right? yeah um it, you you have uh i i had uh i had some foot surgeries mm-hmm. i don't really have a sense of whether they did the best job or the mm-hmm. worst job on my foot. I don't really have totally. some basis of yep. comparison. And one of the things that we do to evaluate this is like you you meet your doctor and you're like, well, this doctor really convinced me that they cared and yep. and and uh, yep. like took took the time and mm-hmm. and. Uh, so you're gonna think then that they do a superior job of performing that service probably based on that empathy. Um, an example of me just this morning, I um, today is actually my youngest, my four-month-old baby's first day at daycare. And um, so I dropped her off this morning um, for her first day. And my other- How was it, horrible? <laughs> I mean, I was nervous. She's yeah. she's she's number she, three, so she's who a handled it better, you or her? <laughs> she she was just fine. She's like, hey, new people, new toys, right? But um, so I'm dropping her off at this daycare that my other two daughters attended as well, and um, you know, so I know she's gonna be fine and she's gonna be safe, but I'm still kind of nervous, right? Um, so I get there and um, the teacher right away wants to hold her um, and, you know, is talking to me. And, and I was there for probably about 20 minutes, just kind of hovering and like, you know, um, but I felt good leaving. And I feel as though I am getting that I am at a quality daycare and I'm getting good daycare service because I felt this morning that those um, daycare providers, the two teachers in the infant classroom, uh, really cared about my daughter. One of them even made the comment that um, I will treat your daughter exactly how I would treat my child. I'll, I'll give her snuggles. I'll hold her. I mean, she made me really feel as though she's going to take care of my daughter. They already knew her name before I came in. They, they seemed really excited to have her there. And that just makes me feel like, oh, she's going to a great daycare. But do I actually know this? Mm-hmm. I kind of don't, right? Like, I'm not there during the day. And my infant can't tell me at the end of the day that, like, oh, hey, this was a really high quality daycare. At the end of the day, I'm making my evaluation based on the empathy that I perceived from these daycare providers. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And it kind of works with your doctor example too. Um, You know, you just, you don't have the technical skills to really know if they're doing this thing um, or if they're, let's say, giving you your anesthesia with the best combination of medications as possible. But if you trust the nurse anesthetist or the anesthesiologist, um, then you will probably be like, 
oh, hey, neighbor going in for surgery, you should request Dr. So-and-so as your um, anesthesia provider because she was just great when I underwent foot surgery. But you don't really know that she was great. You just know that like she inspired confidence in you. So what what's the kind of difference between the empathy category and the assurance it, it, yeah. it seems like they're really closely related and and uh, yeah. and they somewhat must feed into one another a little bit a little bit yeah um so assurance has a little bit more to do with um the knowledge part of it mm-hmm. so um it is it is knowledge so um assurance is the knowledge and courtesy of the employees that inspire your trust so the professionalism with which they treat you and the fact that they can answer your questions, right? The empathy is kind of the approach they take to do it. So the feelings of caring that they inspire in you. Mm-hmm. So maybe... Um, so assurances is a little more like you you walk in and there's all the degrees on the wall and stuff and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. this person has these credentials. Absolutely. So they have the degrees on the walls. They treat you professionally and with respect, um, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that, so you are assured that this person is going to do a good job, even though you may not necessarily... Um, know how to evaluate that technically. So back to the daycare example, the daycare has a five-star rating in the state of Wisconsin's um, rating system, right? They're licensed, um, their teachers have certain certifications. So, and whenever they talk to me, it's always respectfully and, and in a way that's personable and appropriate for the product setting. So that will assure me that they are also that they not only care about my daughter, but they have the competency to care for her while she's there. Hmm. Um, with the tangibles, I, as you're mentioning um, fast food, I was thinking because I often <laughs> think how how is fast food not just like basically completely automated by now? I, I'm. I can't believe that there's not yeah. just like this vending machine yeah. where that like shoots out Big Macs at you or whatever and you go through. But I guess you, you would lose a little bit of that uh, tangible, like not actually having the human interaction. There and are seeing... actually burgers and vending machines though, right? Like, have you seen these vending machines? Like there might be a microwave next to them, the YMCA or something. Oh, and, like, yeah, yeah. A sandwich or, you know, even like a frozen. Yeah, but no, no one eats those. <laughs> something that you're like, on your face. You're no, like, no, no, no. I don't. You're, you're like. <laughs> yeah, a, I just had that feeling. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> like, you're, like you're about to defend vending No, I'm not defending that. I'm saying automated drive-through yeah. uh, food services seem like they're the next step the way that everything i mean most of fast food is already kind of automated and in many ways and now they're putting now they're putting the when you go in they they have the the screen out front that you you put your own order in Mm -hmm. in the screen and everything and and the person taking your order might not even be in the store it could be a call center somewhere right that's taking your order a lot of times it is when you pull up to the fast food drive-through, sometimes what? it's not actually the person at the window that's taking your order. It's some centralized call center, <laughs> and um, they, you know, really? that they, yeah, and and you know, they would do that to assure standardized communications across all of their drive-through windows. 
Wow. Um, yeah. So some I, some I of that is automated. I didn't know that. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm potentially, yeah. this is why I'm having such a hard time hearing the person through the speaker. They're like in some other state or something. No, you would probably <laughs> hear them better if they had that set up, uh, right? Right. Because the whole purpose would be to communicate more clearly. Right, right, right. So if you're having a hard time hearing, it probably is the actual person with like the microphone kind of loose on them somewhere in the yeah, back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of drive throughs right now, um, mm-hmm. the person you're speaking to is not the person that's actually in the store, the person taking your money. So, you know, a lot of it is becoming automated. Um, But you just have to think of like how consumers would respond to complete automation. Maybe eventually we'll get there. But um, right now, think of how a lot of fast food places also advertise. They advertise that they have like scholarship opportunities for their employees, that it's just a, a great part of the, you know, like even though there's some big corporate franchise, they they advertise that they're a big part of the community and training people and whatnot. Yeah, you're not just giving yourself diabetes, you're supporting the community. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at the billboards and stuff, like they say things like, oh, you know, scholarship winners or... You know, their their foundation that that takes care of sick kids or or something like that. So, I don't know. I think it's some it, it's some way of it's some part again of the service delivery not related to the core product that's attractive to consumers. Take for example, grocery stores. You got the mm-hmm. self checkouts, but I don't know that there's grocery stores that have only the self-checkout certainly there's grocery stores that have none of them but would an ideal scenario for most grocery stores to be what they seem to be doing where where you have a lot of self-checkout lines and then you also have a lot of um uh, staffed checkout lines as well and so depending on people's preferences one one person wants that personal touch and doesn't want to deal with the automated thing and gets creeped out by it or doesn't feels it it's a burden other people don't want to deal with the human interaction (laughs) would much rather scan themselves out so you you're offering those two different styles of service there's some pilot stores you should check this out because it's not too far from us in chicago um some stores that had been piloted and i actually never followed up to see um what became of them but i imagine they just they still exist. Um, it was maybe a year or two ago. Anyways, a, a giant online brand bought a um, pretty well-known chain of grocery stores, and they decided to pilot having no cashiers at all whatsoever. So how and, and no self-checkout. So there's no checkout. So the way you shop at this place is they have your credit card info, and um, you go in. And all of the products are monitored um, with uh, radio frequency. Mm -hmm. So they know exactly what went into your cart. Mm -hmm. And then you walk out with it. And they know exactly what you walked out with. And then your credit card gets charged. Oh, that was was like a... a, a commercial 10 years ago or something like that. Of like, this is what the future is going to look like. Yeah, it's here. And now they're doing it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. I I was not aware of that. That's yep. exciting to me. I like that. Yeah. I'm into it. I'm kind of in I don't I don't really I'm the self checkout, no human interaction yeah, person yeah. too. Yeah. So. Me too. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm I'm just being silly for no reason or if there's a legitimate point or question that I'm asking uh mm-hmm. here, but I was thinking about your restaurant example and how 
and the difference between the standardized and then and then the custom uh, the the custom yeah. it, it made me think of like oh, i should start a restaurant where you have no idea what's gonna happen <laughs> you walk in there you don't get to order anything you don't even where you sit down like you, you walk in with four people three of them are sitting on a floor mm-hmm. You, you're in an adult high chair above everybody. <laughs> the desserts comes out first, and so. it, you, don't, you don't get to pick anything. You don't get to pick how it's cooked. The utensils are strange. Sometimes we're just launching food into yeah. your mouth. Someone yeah. comes by. You don't know what. And sometimes it's just a standard old meal. It's a big. It's a big mix bag every time. You yeah. don't know the style of food that you're going. <laughs> you're going to get. This would be a fun adventure for a lot of people. Maybe get some press and whatnot. But then, but but then you also have to. Um, within that, there's all of these environmental factors of you're, you're opening a restaurant and you have to be aware of your um, your audience, uh, if there's a market for that. Like I would argue there probably wouldn't be a very profitable market for that here, <laughs> but there are all sorts of crazy restaurants in bigger cities. Yeah. Um, so I was reading a few years ago about a restaurant where you eat in complete darkness. Yep. The, like the the, the servers wear this. night vision goggles, yeah, right? It's like one in San Francisco, yeah. one in LA, and uh, yeah, there's a there's a few around. Yeah, it's supposed to just enhance your taste senses by turning off all the others. And yeah, the service the servers all have night vision goggles, and that's how they make their way around people. But at first, you don't even see your people, food. I think. At first, uh-huh. they had blind people okay. serving because they could make their way around in the right. darkness really well. That's how I first heard right. about well, it. Well, maybe there's like different kinds. Then. The one I was reading about it had night vision goggles. and um, But mm. anyways, I think there there is a market yeah. for this stuff, right? Like people do like customizing. And, and the same person could like different things under different circumstances, right? right? So... Um, You know, if my oldest two kids are just being crazy and I've had a long day and let's say like my husband's on call at the hospital and I am overwhelmed, like what am I going to do? I know that a happy meal is going to make them happy because it'll have some sort of toy in it that's going to make them excited and I know exactly what is coming in that meal and um, I I prefer that standardized expected thing so I will just go through the McDonald's drive-thru for that however if I'm out for dinner for my you know let's say for like my anniversary with my husband um, then no like maybe I'm in the mood for something a little more creative a little bit more customized and yeah and I don't want this standardized thing and you want this unique memorable experience yeah yeah, so, you know, again, it's not on the core product of the food so much as as also a lot of it having to do with the services around it and how it's delivered. Hmm. Um, well, that's interesting. Yeah, I was thinking there's the uh, the waterfront restaurant here in town yeah, that is, is maybe my favorite. <laughs> restaurant in the in the city there's the, the cross has gotten better and better restaurants since have you tried i tried love child moved. it's fantastic oh, yeah it's i think that good. might be my favorite right now. yeah that might be taking over yeah. um waterfront has such a nice view though um but 15 years ago when i mm-hmm. left here none of these none of these fancy there's like the freight house and and piggies these two fancy restaurants yeah. in there eh. um and uh 
and when these moved in, I remember specifically when the waterfront moved in, I was visiting back. I had it. I was like, this place is fantastic. And I went online to write a review about it. And I looked at all of the reviews and it was so funny because you would see a great review that was mm-hmm. like a business traveler was like, when I, when I'm in the cross, I come here every time and this is my favorite restaurant in town, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. When I'm, when I'm passing through, this is someone coming from like Minneapolis or Chicago or something that's like a little more used to this fine dining experience. Mm-hmm. And then you'd see negative review. It was always from the local person. I was like, I paid $12 for an entree <laughs> yeah, totally. and I didn't get a very big portion yep. and I wasn't even yeah. full $12. And, yeah, and, yeah. and, and yeah. so uh, this is this is part of, I mean, so, so businesses have to factor in the environment, mm-hmm. but in many ways... They, expectations but they also have to yep. curate uh, an environment in in some ways i mm-hmm. mean if 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 some take a comedy club for instance if i were to open a comedy club in the cross i could get uh, like a bunch of name acts or hey this this person was on saved by the bell or whatever and and then you have screech in and he's a horrific comedian but uh, uh but like people know who he is the brand, yeah. and and so that brings in you know you can yeah. do that and build this audience of like dunces that just want to like mm-hmm. see a celebrity or you can or you can like do the work and, and this is what happens in comedy clubs or or you can like get the um you know the hipper comedians that the more mm-hmm. comedy savvy people know that that have you know put the time into um sure. you know building the skill a bit more and and build it as this as this thing of like hey this is you it, you come to this comedy club and you know you don't need to know who the name of the comic is you know you're going to have a good time because mm-hmm. you have in the past so this people. is we actually have a model for this too in services marketing and it's all about um measuring your expectations. So it's mm-hmm. about what you expect and then what you get. So it's not um so it's not about the actual objective quality of the thing you got. It's what you were expecting the quality to be in the first place. Mm-hmm. So if you're expecting um you know at this fancy restaurant to just get the best meal of your whole entire life and people to treat you like a king and you walk in there and you get a pretty good meal and people are professional and courteous to you, you might be disappointed with your experience. You might be dissatisfied just based on coming in with these high expectations. So another thing that we do in, in marketing communications is is um, we say that expectations should be pretty accurately communicated, Mm. right? So again, like with McDonald's, I know I'm gonna get the standardized meal for the standardized price that's gonna come out the same every single time, right? Mm -hmm. But then at Love Child, for example, I know that the menu is going to probably be slightly different than um, when I was there a few months ago. And I know that, um, you know, the server is going to be very knowledgeable about my food and, and it's going to be, you know, and it, and some things can be customized. And, and I know that I'm going there for that sort of thing. Right. So it's all about like your window of expectations. One thing I studied in uh, my paper on public sector services, so government services, um, it was funny. Um, 
people are satisfied with certain services that have a reputation for having pretty terrible delivery, but that's because they go in with these really low expectations. So for instance, when people go to like, let's say the DMV, right? I didn't study the one up here, but I did in a, in a different state. Um, if people are going in to renew their driver's license, um, what sort of expectations do they have before they go to renew their driver's license? Well, if you expect to be treated, you know, with smiles and courtesy and be in and out of there in 20 minutes, you might come out pretty disappointed, right? Even angry. But a lot of people go in there knowing it, you're just going to be sitting around for They've hours waiting. Jokes. Yeah, you're no. finally going to make it to the front of the line and they're going to tell you you have the wrong form. So take a new number and sit back down, you know? And, and like, if all of this, if you expect that, and then if all of this happens, you actually come out satisfied because it's, you know, it met your expectations. Hmm. Yeah, I, I do a lot of managing of expectations with with the podcast and i have a show stand up science that's yep. half comedy half science and i go out of my way to really impress upon people like this is half science yeah like i have two academics coming up they aren't doing uh, don't expect punchlines. yeah expect a, well, a science funny. talk because uh, it's not it's not yeah. that it's just what the expectations are there's plenty mm -hmm. of funny academics out there there's plenty of unfunny comedians out there <laughs> okay. but there but it's it's just a managing of expectations if someone if someone comes to the show mm -hmm. with the expectation of it being a hundred percent comedy show mm -hmm. they're going to be disappointed because i'm going to book an ecologist who mm -hmm. is going to get up and explain to you for uh, the next 12 minutes yep. why the planet is dying. Yep. And like, uh, that's what I want you to experience. I want you to have like a heart sinking moment and yep. to be and to be worried but interested at the same time. That is that is an experience that I'm that I'm yep. trying to cultivate. And if you know that, then mm -hmm. it'll be great. And you're learning a thing and it's interesting. On the flip side of that too, you never want to like really, or you don't want to too frequently really exceed expectations either. Like let's say you own a restaurant and, you know, the person comes in with certain expectations and they order their meal and their me meal is good and they're, you know, they're basically satisfied mm -hmm. and they would come back again. But let's say, you know, then you're just like, oh, like desserts on the house, you know, and um, oh, here I, I cooked, you know, a larger steak than you order just because I felt like it, you know, and, and like you give them like just this extraordinary service that goes way above and beyond what they were expecting in the first place. What, what that's going to do then is raise their expectations for the next time they come in. So the next time they come in, you could provide perfectly good service that they would have been happy with the last time. But now since their expectations are so raised, since you delighted them so much the last time, their expectations are higher as well. So there's yeah. that expectations management kind of both ways, up and down. Mm -hmm. And people habituate and everything else mm -hmm. too. And uh, so, uh, yeah, you bring in... Uh, you had such a great time that you bring all your friends back to this amazing restaurant. Yeah, and you're yeah. telling them how it's just going to yeah. be the best dinner. You they've order ever the had. six ounce, expecting to get the nine ounce, you yeah. know, and it's like, no, you mm. just got what you ordered this time. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. Uh, well, that's a, you know, before the podcast, I I tell uh, you you hadn't listened to the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> uh, people, that's that's the norm. No, it's fine. Yeah. 
the, the point is, so that's not why I brought it up to shame you publicly to the listeners. <laughs> no, I don't care. Um, I, I, but I, I needed to. Uh, people mm-hmm. often, when I reach out to them, are like, "Oh, this is a comedian. Am I supposed to be?" funny and i i need to impress upon yeah. people that this is this is a science podcast i build this as a science podcast sure i build this to the listeners as a science podcast sure. if there's jokes uh, when i talk to any uh, publicity any uh, any morning radio anything like that anytime i mention the podcast i say my science podcast here we are so when there are jokes along the way that's a bonus it's okay. not it's not an expected thing you know and that sure, makes sure. a huge difference cuz if this is if this is a comedy podcast with like uh, that like sometimes sprinkles in some science or whatever that's a completely different um experience and and that that is uh, so much of life is about managing our expectations yep so (laughs) so that's something that that companies need to to think about when they're when you're communicating you 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 have to form expectations in consumers minds that you can actually reach that you're not going to go beneath right you can't promise them the world if you can't deliver it Mm -hmm. right And then you don't really want to go so above and beyond their expectations because then that's going to be their new expectations the next time they come in. Yeah, that's I've I've had so many funny jokes that I could have said during this whole (laughs) podcast, but I pulled in the reins a little bit. I don't I don't want to. You don't want the next episode (laughs) to disappoint. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, (laughs) So I have my guests each week plug a uh, a charity of their choice. Do you have one in mind? Sure. I am actually on the board of directors of YWCA Lacrosse. Um, our what mission is What's up? Our mission is uh, empowering women and eliminating racism. Um, That's terrific. So, uh, and we do it in the local, regional area as well as um, with the. Uh, uh, as well as being aligned with the agenda of the national YWCA organization. That's wonderful. Oh, well, terrific. Well, listeners can always go to the herewearepodcast.com website to find the appropriate link and learn more if you like. And I wanted to talk about um, the the two other categories that we that we didn't really dig into because <laughs> these are, I have to say, there there's some things that I do very well mm-hmm. and some things that I am lacking. And the last two are, are probably my two uh, biggest things that I that I could improve upon. Um, one is reliability. I'm oh. I'm not a I'm not a very reliable person. I'm I'm not in terms of like releasing. Well. Re- I don't oh. like you know timing. I don't okay. t- the timing of the, sure. one, one way is that if this if this was reliably every single Monday morning there was sure. a new here we are podcast for people then it's then it's reliable and are people expecting that though like are people well, expecting you to be on a schedule you know they're they haven't been listening for long yeah, no, I'm a little yeah. all over the place but a lot of podcasts that that is something that that they okay. say is a good way of of building that habit of uh you know uh, most most podcast sure. networks 
would like it if their podcast had this set time on a set day where listeners grew that. But that might just not be a very big deal for your consumers. That might not be the characteristic on which they judge reliability. Mm. Maybe they are using the characteristics of do I gain information? Mm -hmm. Do I... um, Do I laugh a little? Do I learn something new that I wouldn't seek out on my own? If those are their expectations coming in, and if that's what you deliver, then you deliver reliable service. Now, if they're expecting every Monday morning there's going to be a new release and you don't deliver that, well, then maybe they would come out saying that you're unreliable. But if they're not even expecting this schedule in the first place, really, then that's probably not what they're judging reliability on. So really, it's just about what characteristics they are judging that reliability on. Mm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, I guess I am crushing it after all. <laughs> um, <laughs> responsiveness is another thing that I'm... Uh, so I, I, I always have listeners mm-hmm. they can write in anytime that they mm-hmm. want. And I read everything that is written to me. And mm-hmm. I, I try to take it into account. I'll sometimes mention... Um, comments made on podcasts or take feedback seriously. I've bent over backwards to improve the audio of, of this podcast sure. and, yep. and uh, the way in which we edit things because of some feedback that we've gotten with, with issues er- earlier on and like the first year of the podcast, that sort of thing. But um, I don't, I often, I, maybe a forum or something would be a better way of doing this because sometimes people email me and I, I don't have time to answer all, all the emails necessarily. And then there's also a risk of like, I have emailed people mm-hmm. back in the past and then they'll be like, oh, is this really shade? No, I want to start this whole relationship oh. and dialogue. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I can't yeah. have, a, 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 I don't have time in my life for a for whole friends. relationship yeah. Uh, yeah. R- right now. Yeah. But I appreciate that you listened and all that. So, I, yeah. <laughs> And I want you to know that I'm taking your comments seriously. Yeah. I just can't. I don't have room for another friend in my life right now. And so it, I, I don't know how to, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's something that I've been thinking about how to change that response. So maybe, maybe a forum, I think, is the way to go. You have a forum on the website. Yeah. People can throw in tips. Then I can, I can respond when I have time yeah. to respond. It's a one-sided thing. And if someone starts obsessing, everyone will see that it's, <laughs> and then not blame me. Yeah. For <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are definitely choices for the delivery of your responsiveness, right? right? Is it going to be always one-on-one communications? Is it going to be a forum on your website? Is it going to be a social media page? Um, you know? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, but is, is that the kind of thing that you're talking about when you... With responsiveness? Yeah. yeah. But but within that, there are then choices that you make, right? Like, again, am I going to do this one-on-one thing? Like, is that the expectation I'm going to set up for people that when they email me, I am going to respond to them personally? Or instead, am I going to take inquiries through this public space where anyone can have a dialogue about this thing that someone writes about? Um you know, and that's what a lot of companies have chosen to do as well. Mm. Um, well, this has been wonderful. Is there, <laughs> is there anything that I that that you want before uh, before we wrap up that you want the listeners <laughs> to really like 
main thing you need people to take away from or uh, uh no we're no, good i don't think so i, I think i think yeah. we nailed it All I'm, right, not, awesome. I'm not missing anything <laughs> All right. um and uh so yeah this is terrific well, well thanks thank you for, for having me on yeah thanks for finding time nashanazif to, <laughs> <laughs> to join me and uh this is a really terrific conversation thanks for what you do and thanks for finding the time to talk to me and the listeners about it. And thank you listeners for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. Next week on the Here We Are podcast, I got a tour of the Sam Noble Oklahoma Museum of Natural History. Uh, I talked with the collections manager of recent invertebrates. A lot of spider talk with my new friend, Melissa Sadir. We had a real fun conversation. Spiders, they are real interesting. And uh, you are going to love our conversation. Make sure and tune into that. Also, check my show dates. The big important things that I'm excited about. One, got stand-up science going strong. Added more dates all the time. The big dates that I'm obsessed with right now is Head Talks, the psychedelic version of stand-up science combining researchers comedy some artists and having a a little bit of a fun um, kind of variety show trying to do something really unique and i'm doing five cities lincoln nebraska wichita kansas oklahoma city dallas texas austin texas i imagine about all of those will sell out the sooner they sell out uh, the more i can gauge um, how how many seats I should get for um, for next year's tour in the venues around different cities, and the the one the one that might be harder, Lincoln, Nebraska, small city, and it's the largest venue on this tour. It's a beautiful venue, so it'll it'll look nice whether um, whether it's full or not. But it's um, can seat up to four hundred people, so on, I, I don't anticipate selling that one out with a psychedelic science um, comedy show in Lincoln, Nebraska, but the psychedelic movement is going real strong these days. And so if we do sell that out, that means uh, I am moving to larger venues next year. So if you guys can do everything you can to spread the word about those cities in particular, that would be huge for me. Also, check out shanemoss.com to find out more about all of my other dates. Doing a couple of good trip shows and um, and more, more, a lot more stand-up science shows. And at the time that I'm recording this, there are just a couple spots open um, for the Myco Meditations Retreat in Jamaica, January 18th through 25th. That will definitely be my only one of 2020. Um, they, they want me to come back sooner or, or, um, at least in early 2021. And, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure if, if, um, if that'll work out, but some of it depends on how fast this fills up and we can take it from there. So if you're waiting to like, well, I'll have more money the next time around and then I'll do it. Well, there may not be. Um, but you can always go to Myco Meditations on any other date that that works, and they're not um, uh, they're not paying me to 
say this or I don't get any benefit from you going um, if I'm not there but I'm a big supporter of what they do and they are doing retreats about every two weeks and you should absolutely check them out I think it's fantastic and I've seen a lot of people have incredible life-changing experiences and that's why I'm on board with what they're doing so check that out if you're interested and we'll talk with you more next week Star Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.